Welcome to DWM Integrative Medicine, the podcast about disease prevention and health promotion from the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health at the George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. I'm Dr. Lee Frame, a nutrition scientist and director of the Integrative Medicine Programs and the executive director of the Office of Integrative Medicine and Health here at GW. Today, we're going to discuss evidence-based approaches to use food and the gut microbiome to prevent health and treat disease with Dr. Christopher Damon, a board-certified gastroenterologist and internist at the Digestive Health Center at the University of Washington Medical Center. Dr. Damon is a physician scientist with a particular interest in the microbiome and functional foods. He recently gave a talk on the clinical application of the evidence base for dietary and microbial interventions to support well-being at our sixth annual Sung Symposium, The Gut, Microbes, and Well-Being. He's also a clinical associate professor of medicine at the University of Washington and an entrepreneur with 20 plus years of experience across the private, philanthropic, and academic sectors. Welcome to the pod, Chris. Ah, Lee, Jeanette, uh, so great to be on. Thanks for the invitation. Oh, absolutely. Especially after that wonderful talk and the, the great panel discussion we had at the Sung Symposium, we just had to have you on. Well, that makes two of us. Uh, I, I suppose uh, there's always uh, opportunity for encores, uh, you know, to satisfy uh, the continued uh, desire uh, to talk about microbiome. So it should be fun. Oh, yes. There's always more desire for talking about microbiome. <laughs> so let's get right into it. Uh, what are diet and microbiome-directed therapies? Uh, good question. Um, well, so... You know, conventional um, medicine is uh, very much reductionist, and it involves um, oftentimes, you know, drugs or small molecules. Um, the uh, approach of using food and, and microbes is uh, slightly um, more um, integrative or holistic approach. Um, and the really neat thing about using food and microbes is it can impact so much in health. Health is, um, you know, founded in many ways in food. Uh, food is is our medicine, as um, Hippocrates, the, the father of modern medicine, um, you know, said over several thousand years ago. Um, so um, there's a lot of power there, and a power that I think uh, the sort of conventional medicine is is really starting to embrace in a bigger way. And there's movements afoot, um, even at the highest levels, level of government, um, that are starting to think uh, about just how powerful food and microbes can be for impacting uh, health and disease. So what is what gets you the most excited about this, this area of, of research or, or on the clinical side as well? Yeah, um, well, I think... One of the areas that's most exciting is the potential to impact um, disease and, and prevent it from happening in the first place. Uh, I think, you know, that's the power of uh, a functional or holistic approach to medicine um, is that one can prevent, you know, diabetes, uh, hypertension, um, if a healthy approach is taken right from the get-go. Now, What's what's new about what's coming down the pipe? I mean, we've known that healthy eating is um, important for overall health for a long time, you know, for decades, maybe even millennia. Um, 
And yet we have truly an epidemic um, of metabolic disease, of obesity and diabetes. Um, so what are the new approaches to food and microbes uh, that are coming down the pipeline? And uh, some of those approaches um, involve really sophisticated uh, delivery of of the microbes themselves that are present in the gut and um, certain rarefied uh, group of individuals where those microbes are missing. Um, not just underrepresented, but truly uh, gone. That's probably not the majority of people. The majority of people, if the right food is provided, those microbes will grow and uh, will become partners in health again within the gut and contribute to all the positive health outcomes. Um, but that said, that, that um, microbiome approach to therapy is, is one that I think will be really impactful for certain types of diseases like inflammatory bowel disease um, and a, a diarrhea, a disease called Clostridium difficile. Um, beyond the microbe therapies, I think another really exciting area is better understanding how food is not just important for health and what types of foods are important for health, but how the microbiome translates the key components or bioactives within food uh, that then impact our health. Um, there's been a lot of research in the last 10, 15 years uh, around this. And um, what's so exciting about that is if we can understand what it is in food uh, that impacts the microbiome and impacts our health via the microbiome, um, then we can use um, those things specifically in concentrated ways um, to address health. Um, and it just allows us to approach foods um, with our eyes uh, more widely open uh, and with more power. Um, so I think that will be an exciting area uh, as well. And then the, th the last area is how technology, technology like continuous glucose monitors, um, other monitors of other molecules within our blood that are really important for health, um, how smartwatches that measure pulse, pulse rate, um, and how technologies like just apps that help us choose uh, foods in a healthier way, how all these technologies might come together to um, inform and empower uh, the individual uh, to make healthy choices um, in real time. So I think those are kind of the three big areas. It's microbes, it's, it's new approaches to food and the bioactives in food, and then um, the technologies that will really truly enable um, more powerful behavior change, which has been the key rate limiting factor in folks adopting a healthier diet and healthier lifestyle. Yeah, that's, I would totally agree with that. The other thing that I feel like I hear a lot about in the, you know, big wellness or the influencer world is that all you need to do is change your diet. I'm obviously the first person to be like, nutrition is fundamental when we're talking about the microbiome. But you've already alluded to the fact that diet is probably not enough alone, at least in some cases, to actually affect the microbiome in the way it would need to be affected in some of these cases. Is that correct? I, I love that. And I have a framework that um, I help keep all the different 
factors straight in my own mind. And it's what I call the four M's, uh, which stand for uh, the molecules or the foods, but also the toxins, the microbes, which are the, you know, healthy microbes, but also the pathogens, um, movement, which is activity and exercise, but also, you know, kind of being a couch potato or lethargic. And then lastly, mind, which would be, um, mindfulness practices, getting good sleep, but on the flip side, uh, being stressed and, um, not getting enough sleep. So you know, those are kind of the, the four M's or pillars of health, and they all truly contribute to, uh, our overall health and well-being. not, not just food, as you say. So one of the things that is really crucial for the microbiome and its relationship with food is that food is both the fuel for the microbes and a source of the microbes. Um, how does that play into this relationship in terms of, uh, you know, providing what these microbes need, but also perhaps providing the microbes themselves? And is that different or better or worse than, say, a probiotic you might get at the store? Yeah. Um, so I, I think what you're alluding to are fermented foods uh, and fermented foods, especially those that have live active cultures are ones that have live bacteria. Now, it's really important to recognize that the bacteria that are present in our food are not the bacteria present in our gut. Very different. They live in different ecosystems. They, they like different things. That said, uh, Foods that are fermented, uh, whether it be the bacteria in those foods or the factors that those bacteria are producing, like lactic acid um, and acetic acid, which is just vinegar, um, those things then support a healthy microbiome uh, in our gut, the, the bugs that do like to hang out in our gut. There's a really interesting study that was done out of Stanford um, that... Um, gave advice to people on increasing fermented foods. And they found those that, uh, you know, were successful at increasing uh, things like yogurt and kimchi and um, sauerkraut, et cetera, um, their microbiome diversity increased. Uh, but to my point earlier, it wasn't the microbes that are present in those fermented foods that increased in their gut. It was microbes that were probably already in their gut, just, not at high numbers. Um, and those fermented foods actually helped re-equilibrate the natural microbes uh, in the gut. So it is very true that uh, foods like fermented foods do provide uh, you know, microbes like probiotics. Um, and if you were to compare the um, the value of a probiotic versus say, just giving a fermented food or eating more fermented foods, it really depends, um, a on the specific condition and b the specific probiotic. And there are some conditions and probiotics for which there's actually pretty decent research, uh, that suggests taking that probiotic for that condition can be helpful. Um, now if somebody were to come into my clinic and, and ask, um, should I take a probiotic doc, uh, without really any specific condition? I, I just heard it was, it was good to take a probiotic. Um, I, I generally tell them what I do. And that is, uh, I, I tend to focus on eating fermented foods, uh, recognizing that, 
there is some data like this study out of Stanford that suggests that fermented foods support a, a healthy a microbiome. And to boot, uh, the other thing that that study showed is there was a decrease um, in inflammation as measured uh, by blood markers. Uh, so uh, that change in the microbiome then translates into a change within uh, the body. So there you have it. Yeah. Uh, another thing that you, that brings up to me is asking about, should I take a probiotic? And just that, how big that question actually is, because there are so many different kinds of probiotics and they're not the same. And like you're saying, most of them have certain indications, you know, they might be good in this type of um uh, microbiome, whatever the baseline microbiome is, but they could actually have a negative effect in other types of microbiomes. It, well, that you know, that's an interesting question. And uh, there was a study done out of Israel uh, that looked at a pretty complex probiotic. I think it had upwards of about 20 different species in it. And it was given after individuals had taken a course of antibiotics. What they found was fascinating. The return of the healthy microbes in the gut in this particular study with these particular probiotics uh, was found to be impeded uh, by taking the probiotic, that people had their natural microbiome and flora return faster without taking the probiotic. And so that's, that's one uh, study which does you know, bring into question uh, the value of a, a probiotic approach. Yes, and that particular study, which I am familiar with, I know there's there's kind of two caveats that go along with that. Um, one is were those baseline microbiomes quote unquote healthy, right? Or or they actually, you know, pre-disease microbiomes? Um, that's one we do, we don't know the answer to that. And the other one, and this is one that I've heard from a lot of clinicians, I think is a fair point, is the protocol that was used in that study was actually to administer the probiotic after the antibiotic instead of with the antibiotic. And you could see where that would have possibly a different effect. Yeah. Yeah. Certainly, certainly possible. Um, it's, you know, maybe easier to keep things around rather than bring them back. After. Yes. Right. Yeah. But I mean, when, when we take antibiotics, um, you know, just a, a single, you know, standard course, uh, our microbiome is incredibly resilient, and all of those uh, bugs are not lost uh, for good. They actually hang out in certain parts of our gut. Actually, the appendix is one of them. So the appendix may actually have a function. Um, <laughs> Imagine that. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, they, they, they hang out in, in certain places, and then they come back uh, in most people most times. It's just when you take really long courses of antibiotics or repeated courses of antibiotics or very broad spectrum antibiotics that, um, you know, over time you can probably, you can lose some of these species. I mean, think of, think of it like a lawn and let's say your lawn has, um, you know, some weeds in it. You can give uh, weed killer, which is like antibiotics and that will get rid of, um, those weeds to a certain extent and will bring some of the grass down as well. Um, but then, you know, with time, the, the grass comes back and it might come back a little bit stronger. Um, so antibiotics are incredibly important. They have saved um, millions of lives uh, since, you know, the discovery of penicillin um, just before World War II. Um, 
but you know they do have their caveats and it's important to use them uh, wisely and this is these are big conversations that are happening within clinical medicine because um, there's also the issue of antimicrobial resistance where you know with time we won't have antibiotics that work anymore because all of the bacteria will become too savvy. They'll be <laughs> resistant to them. But, uh, there's there's good reasons not to use antibiotics. There's very good reasons to use antibiotics too. And um, the the role of the uh, clinician or provider is to know when to and when not to. And and the role of um, you know uh, patients is to to heed that good advice when it's when it's provided. Right, and to u- to utilize those antibiotics properly, and take them according to directions, as opposed to, you know, taking half the course and then just stopping. Or, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, I actually back in the day, I remember my family would get antibiotics for anything. You just mm-hmm. call the doctor, and they would write you a script for antibiotics. You didn't even have to come in. Um, that was obviously not good practice, and I think we've all gotten wise to that, even on the the consumer side. Um, but I think there's still maybe some people who are a little bit more, I don't know, keen towards one or the other, you know, like being either being very pro-antibiotic or being very anti-antibiotic when really neither of those are, are probably correct. It's about a smart use of antibiotics. Well, here's, here's a, a corollary parallel to that conversation. Uh, and it's one of um, hygiene uh, and cleanliness. Hygiene is, Incredibly important. Uh, you know, I think back to um, some of our early lectures in medical school and learning about John Snow uh, and mm-hmm. the one that discovered cholera, and you know, was one of the first people to recognize that microbes can contribute to disease. He isolated the outbreak of cholera within uh, a town to this one well, um, and and. Uh, so, you know, that's an example where having clean water is really, really important. And similarly, washing hands after visiting somebody in a hospital room is really, really important. There's, there's tons of studies on this. Um, and yet, there's probably a Goldilocks phenomenon here. Now, not in the context of the hospital, but, um, you know, at home, do we want to use antimicrobial soaps, antimicrobial um, counter uh, washes? Um, do we want to be super careful and not, you know, go out into um, the garden without gloves and, um, you know, um, protect ourselves at all costs from any microbes? The answer is probably no. Microbes are really important, really healthy, and exposure to them. Uh, is probably really important of health as well. Um, and I would say as a society, we may, we may have erred a little bit too far on the side of sterility and ultra cleanliness. Um, and how does this boil down into practice? Well, <laughs> in my house, if we're not in a hospital or a bathroom and something falls on the floor, um, <laughs> we, we don't have <laughs> the five second rule. It's more like the five minute rule. No. Same here. Same here. Absolutely. I'm with you. It's, it's good for your microbiome. <laughs> And, you know, it's important to wash hands, uh, but um, do we use antimicrobial soaps? No, we just use standard soap. Um, Which actually does a pretty darn good job. Pretty darn good job. And vinegar is a wonderful um, food as well. So there's there's ways of of finding that 
um, just right spot, the Goldilocks uh, spot uh, in in our hygiene. And um, I think as a society, we, we would do well to sort of re-equilibrate and find that balance again. It's a really important point, particularly because when you think about some of these strains that are found in probiotics, where they come from, many of them come from soil. So it's kind of ironic that we're keeping ourselves away from some of these natural sources, and then we're spending a fortune on getting these artificial sources of the very same bugs. <laughs> I love it. Yes, it's it's so true. Um, and there's a lot of really compelling and good reasons for going outside um, and being exposed to soil and these good bugs is one of them. Um, sunlight and the vitamin D that we make in our skin is another really important one. Oh, you're preaching to the choir on that Movement, one. Right. When you get outside, you're walking, you're moving, you're getting exercise. Mm-hmm. Um, these are all really important parts of health that tie into the different uh, pillars or, or M's um, that I talked about before. Um, and as a society, again, we just, we don't do that enough. We were this society that, loves our dwellings and we move from house to car to office back to house again. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. And sometimes the, the movement from car to to building is actually through a garage. So you aren't even going outside. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So Chris, how are hangry bacteria as it was so brilliantly said in a, in a um, headline of an article that you wrote, uh, in your gut microbiome linked to chronic disease? Hmm. Well, uh, first of all, it's, it's a fun title. It, bacteria don't I really know it's probably <laughs> misleading because I know, it, I know it was written by, you know, non-health professionals. Yeah. But no, I, I loved it. There are words that I've used before, for sure. Um, and and it, it is uh, eye-catching uh, to, to call our microbiome hangry. Truthfully, they don't they don't have a central nervous system, so they can't really be angry. <laughs> hey, we anthropomorphize a lot of things, so why not yes, our, we do. our microbiome? Why, yeah. <laughs> um, but what, what do I mean by that? It, essentially, um, we've been starving them, uh, and we've been starving them uh, because we haven't been feeding them the things that they prefer to eat. We've processed them out. Fiber is a big thing. Um, most of our uh, processed foods uh, are missing fiber. They're also missing um, phytonutrients like polyphenols. And these are both really important for supporting a healthy, well-balanced microbiome. When they don't uh, receive these, then a uh, some of the less happy members of our microbiome can increase um, and cause inflammation. Um, and similarly, when we don't have things like fiber, uh, and, and polyphenols, the good guys are not making the healthy compounds that they normally do that are actually really important for our health. Things like short chain fatty acids, like butyrate. Um, so if you don't feed the microbiome, they, they will be in some ways hangry (laughs) at us. Um, and, uh, we'll be hangry too. Um, <laughs> sorry, right? like that translates up to our, our true hangriness or, or central nervous system. Um, I don't know. It, it's kind of a weird twist to think about, but who's really in charge? Mm-hmm. Is, is it, is it our brains or 
Is it our gut microbiome? Uh, because we're, in, in fascinating research, we're learning that the microbes are um, involved in regulating our appetite and in our mood. Mm-hmm. And maybe even a little bit in our personality. Um, there's you know, decent literature to support all of those, growing literature to support all of those, um, those comments. And I have this um, image that comes to mind that's, you know, a bit on the macabre um, and, and a saying, and it's meat puppets. Like in, in some ways, <laughs> we're, we're really, you know, just these, these marionettes at the whim of our microbes. Um, okay, and- I really wish you hadn't said that because you know what my <laughs> mind ex- went to? It went full tilt zombie ant. Yes. Oh gosh. Yes. 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 A cordyceps. Yes. Yeah. There's, there's there's more examples <laughs> of that too. Toxoplasmosis Gandhi. Yeah. There's another one. So that that's a really interesting story. So Toxoplasmosis Gandhi is um, a parasite uh, that's harbored um, in lots of organisms, including mice, and they found that mice that have this organism actually um, lose their fear response around predators. Um, And so they're actually more likely to um, be consumed by cats. (laughs) Aren't they actually attracted to cat urine? I I think you're right. Yeah. 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 It goes even further. My public health background is, is, Slightly out of date, but it's still oh, back there. I think you're right. I do recall that. So yeah. So then the cats eat them, and um, they end up spreading the the disease further. Um, Friends, and- I have to apologize for making us go down this um, appalling <laughs> conversational path. <laughs> Let's get back on task. <laughs> you get a lot of fun at our dinner dinner table, Jeanette. Uh, <laughs> I imagine with a with a GI doc as as a, a father of of three girls. <laughs> that's all right. That's good for them. Yeah, mm-hmm. but we, we can we can steer off this course for sure. <laughs> well, one of the things you already sort of alluded to was. Um, perhaps the perils of ultra-processed foods and the emergency literature on ultra-processed foods showing that they are uniquely detrimental to health uh, is really starting to strengthen. Um, But I know that you have a mind into how maybe we can find a happy medium between no ultra-processed foods or the current state where people are eating all of these foods and it's destroying their gut microbiomes. Yeah. um, Lee, so I'm, I'm a pragmatist and uh, the solution that is going to be implementable is going to be the best solution. Um, now, we should find new, exciting uh, ways uh, to inspire people to eat whole foods, um, to cook whole foods. Um, but we've been giving this public health messaging for decades now, and the obesity and diabetes epidemic is only getting worse. So I think we need complementary tools. Uh, And one of those uh, solutions are are things like um, technologies or smartphone apps or real-time trackers of your health that can maybe give you more immediate feedback on how that food that you're consuming um, is impacting your health um, and let you see in a very real way uh, that 
eating different types of food will, um, you know, lead to healthier outcomes. Um, so I'm a big believer in how technology is going to be helpful there. But similarly, I think, and it goes back to what we were talking about earlier. If we understand what it is about whole food in a better way that makes it healthy, and we've learned so much over the last 100 plus years. We know about proteins and fats and carbohydrates and vitamins and minerals. Uh, we've decoded all of that. And yet there's probably still parts of food, uh, some call it the dark matter. Um, others um, allude to it as the sort of periodic table uh, of food. Um, and, you know, there's the more exotic uh, components like the transition elements chemists out there. Um, uh, there's an effort out of uh, Rockefeller uh, along these lines uh, to uh, characterize all these other components of food, like, um, you know, specific fibers and the, the phytochemicals um, and other things too, certain fats. Um, and what's helping us understand how those things are impacting our body um, is actually the microbiome because the microbiome plays a really important role in translating those factors and shines the light on why they're important in the first place. Um, so that's all a long way to say, what if we, when we make a food and you know, I'm talking about a processed food, what if we pay attention, not just to the macro and the micronutrients, that list of things, proteins, fats, et cetera, I, I made before, um, and those are really important. We should pay attention to those. Um, but what if we also paid attention to what I call the bioactives in food? Those are the fibers and the phytochemicals, the dark matter, the periodic table um, elements that, you know, we're still kind of discovering. Um, if we took that more holistic approach to designing foods, I would say we could get a lot closer to healthy processed foods than we are right now. And a first blush approach is just putting fiber back in. And all fiber is not equal. There are some fibers, you know, do some things, better growing microbiome. Um, other fibers might be better for happy bowel movements. Um, but, you know, categorically adding fiber back into food, uh, I think, uh, could or make perhaps not easy. removing it in the first place. Or, or, well, th there you go with the whole foods. Yeah, or not removing <laughs> it in the first place. Um, so... Yeah. And I think, you know, if, if, if we can achieve 70% of the benefit when we're maybe down in the 40 and 50 benefit, um, food, uh, with the processed food, that's incrementally better and that people, uh, will be compelled to eat because it looks a lot like the things that they're already eating. I think that's a win. Yeah, I, I agree. I think that's a win. Uh, there are a lot of people out there who would disagree with that. And I think that they're letting perfection be the enemy of good mm. or even perhaps good enough. For mm. some people, this may be good enough, right? It fits in their lifestyle. Um, their family will be supportive of it. It's sustainable for them. Whereas something beyond that perhaps is not something they're even open to. And so thus it's kind of a moot point. Yeah, no, I like the way you put it. Um, that perfection is the enemy of good. I think that sums it up really well. Chris, according to your bio, and you can tell me whether this is wrong or not, you're the former initiative lead of the, lead of the gut health in the enteric 
and um, diarrheal disease t- diseases team at the Gates Foundation. Now that's a mouthful. What is the Gates tr- Foundation trying to accomplish, and are you still affiliated with them? It is a mouthful, um, and I, you know, remain good friends uh, with my colleagues at at the foundation and. Um, uh, the the Gates ecosystem, uh, you know, is greater than the foundation, and I do play a role um, uh, there as well. But um, what uh, what is um, we were working on, and what continues uh, in really exciting ways, uh, are using not just uh, uh, food approaches to uh, address malnutrition, but use. Uh, foods that target the microbiome, next-generation foods, and microbes themselves to improve malnutrition. Um, when I say malnutrition, I'm referring to um, a certain type of malnutrition, and, and that is um, wasting, stunting, uh, and actually preterm birth uh, falls into mm-hmm. uh, this as well if you move even earlier uh, in the life cycle. And that was actually... Um, a, a powerful trajectory uh, in our our learning uh, over the course of my five years there is how important it is to intervene early. Uh, and a lot of the work now is actually happening in women of childbearing age and in the maternal setting, um, recognizing that there's more impact uh, there ultimately with intervention. Um, and some of the therapies that we're working on um, you know, there was work uh, being done by uh, Jeff Gordon at Washington University of uh, these microbiome-directed complementary foods on uh, a trial um, that was run that showed, compared to just a standard ready-to-use therapeutic food in folks that were malnourished, it helped them grow um, statistically significantly better um, than uh, just the standard ready-to-use therapeutic foods. And, and what's more, what's what's actually really interesting is um, that microbiome-directed complementary food um, actually had slightly fewer calories in it. Um, so, mm-hmm. yeah, it, maybe not statistically so, but it was still notable. <laughs> you know, they were matched as close as possible, but it actually had fewer calories, and yet... Um, the kids grew better. So that says it's, it's not just calories. That's important. Not just the micronutrients, which are also standardized uh, across the, the two interventions, but um, other factors probably like fiber and uh, phytochemicals or phytonutrients that are present in foods um, that are really important for helping kids grow and be healthy. Well, we are running short on time, so I want to give you uh, time for one last final comment with the prompt of, if you are a clinician listening to this podcast, what would be one tip you would want to give them? Well, um, I think food is the foundation, and uh, find your approach to food that works. Um, You know, food is... um, almost a religion for a lot of people. Um, it's, it's very mm-hmm. personal. Uh, culture is, is so integrated with food. Um, and it's not always a one size fits all. Um, it's also true that certain medical conditions may preclude, uh, approaches to food that would be healthy for one person. Uh, but, but not, uh, for, for you. 
Um, so recognize um, that approaches to food are are somewhat personalized. That said, there are general rules uh, that apply. Um, rules that you know are relevant across a whole population. And uh, Michael Pollan uh, said it well in his book, Defense of Food, and, and that is um, eat food, mostly plants, not too much. <laughs> it's Couldn't agree more. <laughs> well, the best advice I've ever heard. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You can make things as simple or complicated as you want. Um, and at the end of a long, fascinating journey, um, that's what I always come back to. Well, that is the perfect way to end. Thank you so much. And thank you so much for joining us, Chris. Yeah, this has been great. Um, I really appreciate the invitation and it was fun to extend our conversation from the lecture. Yes, agreed. This is the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast from the GW Office of Integrative Medicine and Health. I'm Dr. Lee Frame. And I'm Janet Rodriguez. Thanks Thanks for for listening. The Office of Integrative Medicine and Health produces the GW Integrative Medicine Podcast with funds from your donations. Your generosity allows us to raise awareness of the benefits of integrating whole person care, including evidence-based complementary therapies, into healthcare broadly. Help us continue to grow the podcast by making a tax-deductible donation on our website, smhs.gwu.edu slash OIMH. Click the Give Now button on the left. While you're there, sign up for our free monthly newsletter for even more evidence-based content, including free webinars.